0: Before we get to our Game of Thrones series finale uh, feedback show, I want to take a moment and ask if you've ever played the game Forge of Empires. Forge of Empires is a city-building game and also one of our sponsors for today's episode in Forge of Empires. You can guide a village through the different epochs of human history and see them all like Bran Stark. From the Stone Age to the future, through skillful planning on the battlefield, you can expand your sphere of influence and create an impressive empire And what's more there are continuous content updates to ensure years of fun together with millions of players around the world and guess what you can switch between browser ios and android devices at any time while playing forge of empires if you're new to playing forge of empires we've got some great news for a limited time fans and listeners of post share recaps can go to forge slash rob and get ten dollars worth of diamonds This is virtual in-game currency, no cash payout, only for new registrations and non-transferable. Please remember to download the game via forgeofempires.com slash rob. Don't forget the slash rob in order to get yourself started with that $10 starter package. That will get you that virtual in-game currency of 650 diamonds to start building your own empire. Simply go to forgeofempires.com slash rob now to download, install, Click, claim the gift, and get six hundred fifty diamonds right from the start at Forge of Slash Rob. Game of Thrones is over but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions about the game of thrones finale here on the game of thrones post show recap and now here are the two guys who now their watch has ended wow i am Rob the with josh wiggler
1: josh how are you wow that's crazy that's a crazy thing that you just said yeah it's over yeah did now I, it ends? I, yeah. Now, did I say it wrong? No, you said it right. Yeah. You said it right. It just doesn't sound correct. Yeah. You know that Game of Thrones is is done, and it's like I feel the way that apparently uh, you feel or you experience when you die, according to Jon Snow. I feel nothing. You feel nothing. I, <laughs> I feel empty. It's 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 wild. Game of Thrones is over. You and I have been talking about this show weekly, mm-hmm. nonstop for like pretty close to 2 years. I mean because we started we started doing the road to Westeros before season 7 so that yeah. was probably, you know, Late June of twenty seventeen. Yeah, yep. you know we've had a couple of breaks here and there, but we've been mostly uninterrupted since then. And we've been podcasting about it since even longer than that. Five so,
0: years uh, that you and I have podcasted. Gee, show.
1: yeah. So yeah. I mean, we're we're you know we're not totally. This isn't the, the the end end. You and I still we need to we need to sidebar about exactly how we're going to her this thing, uh, which mm. is is certainly something that we will do. We will we will have a, a, a series wrap up and I'm sure there may even be some stray Game of Thrones podcasts hitting your feed at some point over the next few weeks. Uh, so so keep an ear out for that. But uh, this is, the you know, this is our first time you and I talking about the series finale of Game of Thrones. And this will probably be our, our deepest of the deep dives for one last ride. It's just wild to me. It's just crazy. Josh, of course, I know everybody is checking out your
0: stuff over at THR.com slash Game of Thrones. But if for some reason people were not able to access the Internet since Sunday night, <laughs> could we get your take on the Game of Thrones finale.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so I've been I've been doing a lot of writing uh, and uh, a lot of that has been uh, there's been a decent amount of editing work as as well. There's this uh, really great guest column that we posted at thr.com slash Game of Thrones written by Isaac Hempstead, right? Uh, the king himself, uh, Brand the Broken, wrote a really great column about Uh, His experience going through Game of Thrones and his interpretation of the ending and everything like that. And that was something that uh, that I had set in motion months ago, thinking that it would be really fun to have a column from somebody who has been part of the Game of Thrones cast since uh, the beginning or at least close to it, if I couldn't get someone from the beginning. And ideally, one of the kids, considering that they grew up on this show, like they grew up before our eyes, but this was part of their lives all the way through. Uh, and I'd had like some rapport with Isaac Hemster right from interviews over the years, and knew that he was a very intelligent guy and really was probably going to do a really excellent job of, of writing something like this. And... Uh, by the, by the time the finale was you know getting close to like a half hour from finish or twenty minutes from finish or whatever it was and Bran is crowned the king, <laughs> there was a part of me going, wow, uh, that was a coup. That was very exciting. So a lot Wait, of the- so you
0: you were basically like the Tyrion Lannister of that. Uh, basically the powers that be were like, well, we need somebody, and you stood up and said. Well, How about Brand? What, what about Isaac Hempstead Wright?
1: He's yeah. the, he has the best the best story out of everybody. Yeah. yeah, well, he's got a great story at the very least, and yeah. he's a, he's a great storyteller. Uh, so it, yeah, and he it was ma- like, "Why do you think I came down here? Yeah, why do you think I wrote all these words?" Uh, so that it was just amazing to me when that was happening. So I I I had a, a level of kind of meta joy watching the Game of Thrones finale that uh, felt like a really Fun culmination of of my experience getting to cover the show since uh, in some way shape or form since the very beginning, uh, so that felt like a really fun, cool personal victory and if you haven't if you haven't read the column i really recommend that you do uh isaac writes so well about his experience on on game of thrones and as i tweeted out he is an editor's dream he submitted the article with like flawless formatting grammatically perfect uh required very minimal edits i've uh i've edited a lot of freelancers over the years and i would i would rank isaac hemstead right Really high uh, mm-hmm. in the pool. So if the king thing doesn't work out, uh, he could come for my job, and uh, I would I would probably give it to him happily. Uh, so so there was that. As far as the episode itself and my my reaction to the episode itself, um, I think uh, you know it, it was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was fine. It was totally fine. I think it was mostly totally fine. I wasn't I wasn't uh, enamored with it. I wasn't infuriated by it i didn't feel i didn't feel much one way or the other, which is you know maybe an indictment of the final season or perhaps a reflection of my own burnout with Game of Thrones, which by my own admission is very much a factor in in a lot of my headspace these days um, but there were there were a lot of things that happened in the finale that much like the rest of the season. I I wonder more about the execution of some of these moments and some of these twists and turns versus the outcomes of these right. twists and turns. I'm mostly really good with basically every single outcome. Uh, I I am mostly really happy with uh, who's on the throne, such as the throne exists. We'll talk about that. We'll debate that. I am mostly pretty happy with Jon Snow going back north, going into the true north. I love Arya surviving, going to see what's west of Westeros. I love Sansa Stark, Queen in the North. That's very exciting. Um, But the condensed format of the final season, all of the the rushiness of it all, I think somewhere around episode three or four is where it really started to hit me that like, this is just too fast and it's happening at at such a speed that it's going to be very hard to feel well and fully satisfied by it by the end so i kind of felt that coming and i kind of felt like this was a headspace i had been in before with a show that i loved and cared about a lot more than i love and care about game of thrones uh i.e lost about a decade ago and so i felt these sort of familiar feelings and the fact that i felt more um you know, less personally invested in it and more professionally invested in it or more invested in it from, you know, this very different vantage point of rather than just this being something that I, I love purely to love it. I really enjoy it and I enjoy talking about it and I enjoy like digging into the themes. But for me, that's also work. Um, so there was like a clinical level that I was able to get to where I was just like, this is kind of fascinating to me, the way that this is all wrapping up, both from the the story perspective and sort of the behind the scenesy aspects of it. That I'm able to like, I'm able to cherry pick what I enjoyed about it and really cling on to that stuff and really enjoy it. And then the stuff that I don't like that much, I can identify that and not be that upset with it. So I'm ultimately, I'm ultimately fine. My life will go on. Uh, and I am, I am really excited to dig into a lot of these things with you very much.
0: I wonder, did the uh, Game of Thrones fan base in a lot of ways uh, use up a lot of backlash uh, on the way to this point? And uh, I I feel like that a lot of the reactions to the finale itself were uh, a little bit blunted as opposed to uh, the reactions to uh, earlier episodes, specifically uh, last week's episode.
1: Yeah, I think I think the bells was really the indicator of the kind of the the tone in which this show was, you know, that that was after after watching Daenerys Targaryen ravage King's Landing, you had a real sense of like the taste that Game of Thrones was going to leave in your mouth. And it happens to taste a lot like ash for some people. Uh, The joy turning to ash, as Tyrion once warned. Uh, And I, I think by the time that you got to the finale and through the finale, once we saw exactly where everything was going to land. There wasn't really much that was going to push us one way or the other uh, away from however we reacted to the penultimate episode. Much like the way Game of Thrones often has played over the years, where the penultimate episode of a season really gives you that final punctuation mark uh, of, of uh, the, the ideas behind a season. And then that season finale lets you kind of wallow in it. A little bit more uh, before you go into the long offseason of wallowing further. Uh, so I feel like the that sort of that rhythm was recaptured here in the finale, and certainly going through the feedback that we've gotten for this episode, there's some people who who actively disliked it, but not like mm-hmm. not like in any kind of like massively intense way. At least I mean hard to hard to divine tone from from written emails, uh, but it seems a lot more of people who are either shrugging their shoulders. Or people who are just like kind of exhausted by how they feel about the show if they're feeling negatively about it. Um, So I think that there was some level of resignation coming into the finale for the people who were not enjoying the final season. So that by the time that the final episode aired, and if you didn't like it, I think at that point, you, you you were kind of braced for that. You were kind of expecting it. Okay,
0: we're going to get into answering your feedback questions here today. But first, uh, let me take a moment and thank one of our sponsors. And uh, this is a great one as we are talking about the end of Game of Thrones, because uh, this is a a great way to go back and uh, take a look at Game of Thrones and much more with Comixology. Amazing. If you're a fan of Game of Thrones, now you can experience it in a new way with Comixology, which is Amazon's digital comic service. They have Game of Thrones comics and a whole bunch more. This service is amazing. Uh Josh,
1: I did not know a lot about comicsology, but you are a, a big fan. I love comicsology. I use comicsology all the time. Comicsology, if you're a comic book fan and like you're afraid to go to the comic book store or you don't know a comic book store near you, but like you're a Marvel fan or you're Maybe you're, you, you you saw Aquaman, you saw Call Drogo in Aquaman, and Aquaman. You say I want to read some Aquaman comics, and you want to dive into the DC Comics library. Comicsology has, has what you need. Uh, they've got you know, and, and you don't have to clog up your house with all of the with all of the the various uh, single issues, which can really stack up. Uh, as, as, uh, I have learned over the years, the, the digital archives are, are really, really helpful. Environmentally to, friendly. Yes. Yeah. Environmentally friendly. And you're able to, to like sneak your comic book reading habit on the side if you don't want anybody else to know about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm on comicsology every Wednesday when I have my new subscriptions for like walking dead comes in. A lot of my, my, my man, Brian K. Vaughn. He's got paper girls. That's about to be wrapping up pretty soon. Uh, but I wasn't aware of a, a Game of Thrones comic book. And now I am and I'm doing some light research into it. And it seems it seems pretty exciting. I'm pretty happy about this. Yeah, Comixology is an app for your smart devices.
0: They've got the website, too. Here's how it works. You buy from their selection of over 100,000 comics, graphic novels and manga. Am Am I saying that right? Manga. 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 Yeah. And join their comicthology unlimited reading service. Uh, read as much as you want from over 20,000 titles, including Game of Thrones, uh, which are uh, adapted from the novels in, uh, beautiful, uh, gorgeous, uh, full color. Uh, really cool to look at Game of Thrones. Uh, in the comic book version, yeah. uh, they've got a cinematic reading mode called, uh, guided view as well. Lots of cool stuff. You're going to love Comicsology. Right now, you can try Comicsology Unlimited free for 30 days. Just go to Comicsology.com/psr to get started. That's Comicsology, which is c o m i x o l o g y dot com forward slash psr don't wait that's Comicsology with an x Comicsology slash psr to give it a try free for 30
1: days a uh, great offer okay Josh that's awesome that's let's really great get into our feedback questions. All right. Well, I mean, just just to kind of get into some of the reactions to the finale. Like this was one of the harshest reactions to the finale that I encountered by going through the feedback we received. It's from Andrew from Minneapolis who cites another podcaster in the RHAP family. Uh-oh. Andrew from Andrew from Minneapolis writes No offense to Taryn Armstrong, but was this the plain yogurt version of the finale? After seven plus seasons of fantastic, flavorful moments, this finale was just okay Kind of like plain yogurt. Uh, Even though I am not a big brother person, I am aware of Taryn loving the plain yogurt, being a big fan of a yogurt with nothing mixed in, uh, which is which is, you know, that's a thing. Uh, I I eat the the Ciggies, Rob, which is the Icelandic yogurt, uh, and I get the kind what? that has I get the kind that has just a touch of honey. What is
0: this called? Siggi's?
1: Siggi's, yeah, Siggi's, <laughs> or or as I like to pronounce it around my household, cigis. Uh It's S I G G I S. It's very good. It's very creamy. It's got some great mouthfeel. The yogurt. It's a very reliable breakfast in the morning. Uh, and I, I sometimes will get the fruit-flavored cigis, uh or Siggies, however you'd prefer to pronounce it. They would love this in the north. Tormund Giant Spain would be a huge fan of this yogurt, by this the way. Is this another commercial? This is not. <laughs> this is not. There's no no sponsor and uh, no, no Roots Chris advertising here either. Uh, but I, I give it like, a, I get the kind that has a, a touch of honey and it is just like barely flavorful. Uh, And I feel like that was kind of that was kind of the finale. Mm -hmm. I would add I would add a pinch of honey to this plain yogurt finale.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I I get that. I mean, um, the Daenerys being killed, you know, the headline is, you know, evocative. uh, But I think that most of us uh, kind of presume that this had to happen based on the events from last week. I enjoyed the first half of the episode more uh, and then, you know, Bran becoming the king. Um, was uh, definitely um, a, a bit of a blindside, except if you followed the uh, Vegas uh, or the offshore betting that was right, going on yeah, about yeah. who would sit on the Iron Throne, which
1: kind of uh, ruined... That started picking up some heat in the last couple of weeks leading up to this, too. And I was like, oh, what's that all about? Yeah, that I, I really remember make a year sense. ago that, uh, yeah.
0: that there were podcasts talking about how hey, this is weird uh yeah. the brand is such so uh, that's that's wacky no way that's happening and yeah. then um you know and then the ending uh you know very happy ending for game of thrones and ramsey Bolton once upon a time said oh you don't think this is going to have a happy ending do you and it certainly didn't for daenerys it didn't for the people of king's landing but uh i mean for the the rest of the other heroes you know pretty pretty happy ending for tyrion the
1: starks Yeah. Well, we'll test that. We'll test that notion the deeper we get into the into the feedback. I wanted to I wanted to pull out one of the takes that we got. We got a lot of people who wrote in just with like long, sprawling commentary about what they liked and what they didn't like about the finale. I really appreciate you guys sending that in. We just can't read all of it on the air, but I thought that this one was, was an appropriate length. Um, and, and really speaks at least to to how I'm mostly feeling about the finale. Uh, I'll gauge your reaction to this, uh, after I read it, Rob, this is from the great Derek blaze who wrote in, uh, Derek wrote in and said, I wanted to write in because I feel like my take isn't represented much in the masses. I'm not mad at how the show ended and I'm not over the top thrilled either. The way I would describe it after reflection is, I'm at peace with how the show has ended. I wish we would have had a full season to truly finish this show off right, but other than that, I don't really have any qualms with how things ended. Yes, some of the arcs for our characters were sped up a lot, but the arcs overall feel pretty earned to me. I honestly enjoy the ending for House Stark a great deal because Arya, Bran, Sansa, and John have had such different journeys and they were all apart for most of the series. So is it really that far fetched that they would all be apart again at the end? This is what they know. It's being on their own journey. And while John's may upset people the most, at the end of the day, John never really wanted to rule. John started the show as someone cast aside in his family. And while they love him, and while they love him more now than ever, it's fitting for his journey to come full circle and that he'd be on his own again, not ruling anything and just hanging out with Tormund beyond the wall and some buddy cop adventure. So I guess at the end, I'm not really asking much of anything. I'm just writing mainly to say, I think it's okay to be at peace with this ending and that I hope you both and anyone else out there can reach this same place, even if it takes people a little longer. That's from Derek Blaze. What say you, Rob of House Esternino, Rob the broken? Uh, are you are you broken? feeling? Are you feeling? I think I'm probably more the broken of the two of us these days. How are you feeling peaceful about Game of Thrones? Are you are you able to reach that place yet or will that come later? Yeah, I, I mean I I think I'm definitely
0: at peace about uh the uh, Game of Thrones finale. I, I mean I was uh looking forward to getting to this point because it was uh you know a, a fun ride uh to to get here that uh you know then the the final season certainly you know, raised some some problems that we have discussed at length. But, you know, that uh, I I don't I don't think that this was, you know, a finale that you end up uh, being, you know, uh, angry with or upset with. I think it was uh, just some of the bumps along the way.
1: Yeah, I think that I think so. I mean, well, I think it it really depends on like how firmly of an issue you took with the Daenerys turn. Like if that was like an unforgivable sin, then I think you're going to loathe the finale and I think that game of thrones is going to end up leaving a really sour taste in your mouth. Um and I and I understand that because while I think it does ultimately make some sense and I and I get what they were going for with the Daenerys turn, I think that there's a lot in there that they could have done a lot better to really get you on board with that and more so and it's a new headline that we can talk about this week and we'll, we'll talk about it the further on we get into this is is Bran ending the show as the king of the not seven but now six yeah. kingdoms is you know that one really feels like it comes out of nowhere to me that tracks a lot better from the perspective of the books and tracks fairly terribly from the perspective of the show I as, much as, I, as much as I love Isaac Hempstead right don't get me Great wrong guy great guy solid guy solid, so- guy. solid yeah. guy but 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 I I think that the show could have done a lot better of a job yeah. at getting us on board with that ending uh, and I think that there is a fascinating amount of innards to pull out of the beast yes. of that storytelling decision I think yes. that there's a lot in can we there. get into that sure let's do it it's a, I'm, I'm gonna have to reformat my <laughs> the way that I have the feedback organized but I'm happy to get into that right now absolutely yeah okay uh, can I uh, give you this? I, I don't know if
0: we have this as a feedback question, but uh, Just let me launch into it. Yeah, for Posit sure. this. What was the point of Drogon melting the Iron Throne mm-hmm. if but 10 minutes later, Bran is going to be named the king?
1: Right. Uh, so we did get a version of that question. We got this from Jordan Smith, who said, What's the purpose of the Iron Throne being melted? Obviously, it had some huge symbolism, albeit way too on the nose. But they go ahead and just elect a new king right after. Who cares if the throne is gone if there's still a king? It reminds me of The Last Jedi, when we had so much build up to the Jedi Uh-oh. Temple being destroyed and finally getting rid of the old ways just to find out Rey stole the books. They subverted themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you know, that Danny wanting to break the wheel, you felt like, okay, well, Drogon said, Drogon's like, well, you know what? Drogon is so smart because uh, Drogon says, look, that Daenerys is dead. And it, it was because of this infernal throne. I'm taking it out on you throne. Even though I was the one that actually torched the entire city. Uh, right. It was actually me, Drogon. And uh, I feel badly about it. But the throne made me do it. Take this throne. I've had it with you.
1: Right. I I love the people who there, there was a great cartoon that I saw making the rounds online. Of what Drogon imagined it looked like when Daenerys died, because he's not there. He doesn't witness it happening. And the cartoon like posits like an angry, sentient Iron Throne stabbed her because it has all of the pointy, sharp aspects of oh. it. Oh. And so Drogon thinks <laughs> like, it couldn't have been John. Yeah. He he's can't a good differentiate. Guy. Yeah. He's
0: a solid guy. <laughs> yeah. He smells good. Must have yeah. been this spiky chair.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Which I, think, I mean, that's a solid interpretation. And I, I think like one of the things, you know, that for me, what will make me feel like more at peace with, with an, when I encounter an episode of TV that I've had a lot emotionally invested in and it just doesn't go the way that I want it to go. If it leaves me any room for an alternate interpretation, I'll always scoop that up. Uh and so like if you're really mad or baffled by why Drogon would melt the iron throne, I love that interpretation. I love that just like in his Drogon dragon brain, he's like, "Oh, curse you iron throne. Mm-hmm. You killed my mother." Yeah. And he gets instant vengeance. So, uh at least he doesn't have to like go off on some quest like plotting his revenge. He's already gotten it. Now he just has to to mourn his mother or bring Daenerys to uh, a red priest yeah. to bring her back to life.
0: But back to Bran yes. being the new ruler of Westeros uh, <laughs> after the Iron Throne is is gone. So uh, there, was, there was an article that was posted to uh, TheRinger.com, and uh, it's by uh, Danny Heifetz, uh, and it's called Evil or Incompetent, the Bran <laughs> Stark edition. And yes. I guess there's two interpretations of the Bran Stark uh, becoming the king. Uh, was he either A... Uh, an evil genius, uh, a true little finger, who ended up uh, becoming the king and taking advantage of the chaos that unfolded, that he had to have known about based on our understanding of his powers, or B. Was he uh, blisteringly incompetent where then uh, he didn't really think this through how this was all going to play out? And this was just like a Forrest Gump type series of events that ultimately left him in this very powerful position.
1: Yeah. Uh, we we got a lot on that as well. This is from Aaron, the the heir of House Brooks, uh, Sir Zach's yes. younger brother. Uh, Aaron wrote in and said, I just refuse to accept the conclusion is as happy as it appears on the surface. I think Bran was not on the throne, but rather the three eyed Raven was. He keeps saying, I'm not Bran anymore. With the prequel series already being announced as the Long Night, could it be possible that the big reveal is that the Three-Eyed Raven is actually evil and recontextualizes how we view the ending of the main series? Maybe each reveal brand made, and to whom, was his way of rigging the game and ending up in control. From telling Theon he's a good guy, but he just needed Theon to buy him a little more time, to telling Sam to the smirk at the end, Ramsey said it best. If you think this story has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Am I way off here? My brother says that's giving D and D too much credit, but it just feels too clean and too happy. Uh, as you say, Rob, you're pointing to the Ringer article. As Sir Aaron is writing into us, and as many others have had their takes on yon internets, uh, your bronze yon internets. Uh, there seems to be a lot of people who are fielding the possibility that this was a dark ending. And yeah. it's like an evil king. And, and Bran like, saw this coming all the way through. And I mean, he does have that line to Tyrion when Tyrion says, I know you don't want it, but if we give it to you, will you take it? And Bran says, why do you think I came all this way? And uh, that certainly... We've questioned along the way, can Bran see the future or not? I mean, unless he was just like very intuitive. He saw a dragon he flying saw,
0: over Winterfell in one
1: of his prophecies. He saw or, or flying over King's visions. Landing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you get the sense that yeah. he probably sees things coming. So he probably saw himself... On the Iron Throne, and so maybe there's just like an element of this is just the way it's supposed to go, and I can't change anything, and that's the lesson he learns from the Hodor thing. I don't know. I think that the show did a very, very bad job with the brand storyline. Yeah. Um, for a, a wide variety of reasons. So, so George R. R. Martin wrote a blog post uh, over the past couple of days. Uh, talking about how Game of Thrones is over and Zomagad, oh, I can't believe it. You know, it seems like it wasn't. It wasn't. But yesterday, that I was taking lunch with David and Dan, and they told me who they thought Jon Snow's mother was, and I gave them because the, they had the, to know that. I mean, you couldn't tell this story without knowing that, with piece that of any o- without any yeah. without any other way. Uh, and and he's just, he was just like kind of reminiscing, and then he said, "As for me, I'm still I'm still working on the books. Still happening. I know better than to tell you when they're coming, but they're coming." Uh, and he says, and people were asking me, is that how it's going to end? And the answer is yes and no, and yes and no, and yes and no. Some version of that. I'm not I mean, reading yeah, directly yeah, from yeah. the blog, but I'm pretty sure yeah, that's no, basically I did what read it, it, though. Um... And so, so with that in mind, like, there are certain things that happen here in, in the show's telling of events that I am sure are going to happen in the book's telling of events. I think that there are certain ways in which characters' storylines wrap up that will be, uh, will be very, very, very close, if not exact. Uh, Daenerys sacking King's Landing in very violent fashion. I am certain that that is what George R. R. Martin is building toward, including the immediate aftermath of that being her death, whether that's at Jon Snow's hands or not. It feels like it would probably have to go to Jon Snow because that's such a big character note for Jon as well, but those two characters have yet to cross over in the book, so who really knows? Jon is actually still dead in the book, so who knows what they're going to do with Jon Snow? Jon Snow being in exile in some capacity, that makes some sense to me. Sansa, Queen of the North, that makes some sense to me. Arya's story makes a lot of sense to me as far as where that's going to go. And Bran's story makes a ton of sense to me from the perspective of George R. R. Martin, who has said when he created A Game of Thrones in 1996, and he started dreaming about it a couple of years earlier, that the first scene that he envisioned involved a young boy in this fantasy world watching his father execute this man for the king's justice and then finding dire wolves in the woods shortly thereafter. That was the first scene that popped into George R. R. Martin's head. And I'm sure that the part that he has left unsaid the 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 part that he has omitted from that initial vision is and that boy would become king someday uh you can you can imagine if you're reading his books that this is the story of a man uh, of a young young boy who breaks who falls who loses everything and goes on this meteoric improbable rise to becoming the most powerful and important and good person in all of the land and i think that that would play really really well in his version of events. We missed an entire season oh. with Bran Stark. They left him out for a whole freaking season. We got Dorn in season 5 and we could have had like three eyed raven tree cave visions with Bran learning about what it meant to rule in Westeros seeing Targaryen history providing us some roadmap map for, for the madness of Targaryens and getting uh, you know giving us a storyline that could have not only fueled Bran's eventual worthiness to rule but also could have fueled the, the eventual final turn of Daenerys Targaryen um, but there's even stuff beyond that that just never really worked with Bran. I remember back are uh, our, our first ever Throners, which if you're a newish listener to the Game of Thrones podcasts we do here on Post Show Recaps, is the season-ending award ceremony that Rob and I will do uh, at the end of any given season of Game of Thrones. And we had, I forget the name of the award off the top of my head, but one of the awards was which storyline are you most looking forward to in uh, the next season? And this was before we knew that Bran would not be in the next season. And Bran's storyline tracked dead last. And so that was at the point that he had reached the cave of the Three-Eyed Raven. <sighs> so at that point, the show already just was whiffing fairly hard with their adaptation of Bran. You get to season six when he finally comes back. He's, you know, he's gleaning all this information, all of these powers from the Three-Eyed Raven. It's, it's supercharging his body. It's supercharging his brain. By the end of the season, he gets that reveal that Jon Snow was born of Lyanna Stark. Uh, and when he has that final moment, when Uncle Benjen leaves and they're really close to the wall and he's still with Mira and Mira saying, hey, are you sure you really want to jack into the weirwood tree right now? And Bran's like, I'm the three eyed raven now. I got to do it. And it's he says it with like the same emotion of himself being Bran Stark. And this is after he's already gotten like the supreme download. The next time we see Bran in the season seven premiere. He's like a completely different person. Like he's a lot more robotic at that point. This is when the, when the series has has made the active decision, both between uh, you know the creators and Isaac Hempstead right, that he's going to play him with a lot less emotion. He's going to be playing him as though he's not really Bran Stark anymore. But why would you lead us down that path if the ultimate story is that Bran Stark is going to be the king of the realm? We have to be able to invest in that guy. You're, you're actively asking us not to invest in the Three-Eyed Raven beyond the fact that he's a plot device. And that's who you're going to install all on the iron throne it's just a terrible idea and it's 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 terribly terribly executed and i think that speaks to to my big issue with the final season is i don't mind where a lot of these characters have landed but the way in which we got to some of these landings is really mind-boggling in some cases and really spectacularly Mm mind-boggling in the case of Bran as the king
0: the only thing that would make sense is that Bran had nefarious intentions that uh, there's a game I like to play where I try to imagine what is the worst possible motive that somebody could have? What are their worst intentions? And then I ask myself, did their actions make sense if that was their motivation? And in the case of Bran, I'm forced to say yes.
1: yeah. I mean, you can view it that way, certainly if it makes you sleep better at night. But I think the real answer is that they just done screwed up. Well, I I, I get that.
0: (laughs) I get that that that, that is not what they intended. Yeah, I, I think that this alternate interpretation ends up making things make a lot more sense of like, you know, why? why didn't bran stop the expedition to uh go north of the wall to bring back a walker to bring it to cersei right. when cersei's not is it on board with uh, this operation she's tricking them and they end up spending a lot of manpower we lose we lose a a, a dragon in this whole thing i mean other than if bran needed Da- Daenerys to ultimately uh, lose two dragons and then uh, uh, so she would be able to be uh, closer to being defeated and then ultimately where John is able to take her
1: out. I think that the show just did a really sloppy job of explaining Bran's powers. So we don't really know, like, because he can see the future as that predestined stuff and he can't change any of it. So, like, if he sees Theon Greyjoy die, can he not stop Theon Greyjoy from dying? If he sees John and everybody going north of the wall and the Night King kills the dragon, can they not stop? killing the dragon and and i it would it would help explain why bran is so spectacularly zen throughout so much of this stuff because he just knows that this is what's going to happen anyway and so maybe like he when he talks to Tyrion by the fireside and says i mostly live in the past now maybe that's because he's like because i see the spoilers for the future and like i gotta stop seeing that stuff because like i'm just like I'm just—I have to reconcile the fact that I'm a pretty bad guy for letting all of this stuff happen, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think that the show just did a a pretty poor job of setting us up and and explaining what a lot of that stuff was. Uh, And I just think that there's a lot of. Masters behind, um, that bad decision. Like, I think that there's, you know, I think it's, it's principally the, the writing of the show, but I think that this is also another side effect of not having the books, uh, being available and being able to follow that roadmap. Um, so you gotta lay that at the feet of George R.R. R. Martin. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's just a, a lot, a lot there. And I, I think that in the context of the show, you know, there's uh Aaron Rodgers who who even who who's a name now that I know uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> who's who's out on on Twitter uh you know, giving like the press conference and saying like was that a satisfying ending? No, no, no. Uh like because <laughs> from the, from the That was a great clip. You know, it was. It was hysterical. Uh but from the from the context of the show viewer, from the context of the person who hasn't read the book, of course Bran being the king isn't gonna make sense. As Aaron Rodgers lists out, every other character had a better story. So when Tyrion is giving the speech about uh what what brings people together, stories, stories do. And then he lays it at Bran the Broken, which is such an insulting name to begin with, uh that everyone just seems to be on board with. Uh, it feels like it comes out of nowhere, and this would have been one of those moments where like maybe zig where game of the, where where George r. r. Martin is planning to zag like maybe go a totally different route, except I think that george r. r martin has this has this feeling where like he he doesn't want the show to beat him, which is obviously it 's already done at this point was but was inevitable at a certain point um doesn't want the show to beat him in the telling of his tale. But also doesn't like it when they like veer too wildly from what it is he's planning. So if his plan is that Bran Stark is going to be the king, even though like the experience of just watching Game of Thrones and putting a song of ice and fire completely aside leaves you with a really weird reaction to Bran being the guy to be the king. That's the story that he's telling. So. I feel like there's just a lot of fudginess behind the curtain on this call and it 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 pours out in this way that just washes over people in kind of a, a fairly stinky fashion. Okay. Josh, let's let's
0: do our let's do the rewrite, okay? So, yes. all right, we that uh, Benioff and Weiss bring us in to uh punch up that final half hour, okay? And now we have the ability if it's not Bran who Ultimately, rules Westeros. It's Sansa Stark with a bullet.
1: Sansa, easy, Sa- easy from the, from the north. Yeah. Well, h- however, she wants to do it. She does it. No, she was. She becomes the ruler of Westeros from King's Landing. Uh, she's the queen of the realm. The seven kingdoms. There's none of this. Well, we're going to split off now and no we're going to be Stark in Winterfell. Geez, they'll figure that out. You can you can you can leave Bran there or however you want to figure it out. But Sansa has the best story of anyone to rule. That's literally been her entire storyline. It's why they break the North off as its own separate kingdom so they can have this queen in the North thing. Maybe they can move the capital of the kingdom to Winterfell if they want to do that because King's Landing is in disrepair at this point anyway. uh, If you want to do it that way, that's totally fine. But Sansa's entire arc was building to her learning how how to rule and what it really means to be in that position. And that's how they end her character anyway and she has an incredibly compelling story to do that with uh of all the people that are there at that small council at the end or the or the the great ca- uh council she's definitely the pick it's not, certainly Edmund not Edmir tully that was hysterical that was the, <laughs> i i cannot believe that they dedicated a, like a full minute and a half of the finale to Edmir yeah. tully it was amazing and, uh, uncle sit down has become a meme that was so great. Yeah. That was so funny. That was really, really great. There's was and it's, it's like things like that, which is why like, I can't be like unilaterally mad at the finale because there are still some like really funny punchlines. Uh, there's tremendous acting across the board in, you know, just about every single performer. Uh, uh, but, but that was the uncle sit down was one, uh, when they're, when they're voting for brand and they get to Davos, he goes, I'm not sure if I get a vote, but I was unbelievable. That killed mm-hmm. me. Um, uh, yeah, it's Sansa, right? Like, who else Who else is it? It's not
0: Bran. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand why Sansa and the North had to secede if Bran is the king. Yeah. It's like, yes. uh, I won't be able to sell this to the people in Winterfell. Well, because they need to end the series with her as the no, queen in it. the North. I get, I get that. That's why. <laughs> <I get> that. <laughs> That's why. Like, it's <laughs> like, wait, you want a Stark to be king and you're seceding?
1: Yeah, to bring it back to some feedback, this was from Caitlin Ash, who wrote in and said, Sansa declaring that the North needs to be independent is great and all, but won't the rest of the, sing- the six kingdoms be mad about that? You're telling me that Yara Greyjoy and the new king of Dorne and everyone else is fine being ruled over by someone else who also happens to be a Stark, and they don't also want to be independent? They all said "I" before they knew independence was on the table. Isn't this part of the argument that kicked this whole show off? Everyone rebels against the king's landing and the crown, and we have a million kings running around all over Westeros. The wheel is back intact. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, I mean, the the sexy sleepy new king of Dorne. Like, I can't believe. Like, I, he he must be just like on uh, milk at the poppy in that <laughs> council. Otherwise, he would have just like shot up and be like, "Yeah, no, that can't." Like, if she's leaving, we're leaving too. Because mm-hmm. like Dorne never even wanted to be part of of Westeros. They were they were the the lone holdout for a very long time. So for Sansa to like get the nod of approval to leave the realm and Dorn not to immediately stand up and be like, "Hey, hey, hey, uh that's not cool and we're going to want that same deal." Just like it it doesn't, you know, when when you pull at that thread, the whole thing comes apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh you yeah. ma- you making a lot of sense. You mean I I mean Gendry's probably not uh going anywhere. Yeah, he's fine. He's just like, I'm just hoping that nobody remembers that it was Daenerys who made me Lord of Storm's End. And everyone seems to be a, really cool Bronn by letting me. Why <laughs> got his deal honored? Yeah, I know. But Genji's just like, everyone's being really cool by just letting me keep doing this. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. And everything hey, is fine. Was Bronn at that meeting? No, he wasn't there. Even he though he was there. a Lord of the Reach? Not yet. I think he needed Tyrion. He, okay. think he needed Tyrion to be reinstalled. Gendry would have been a better story. Andrew is a better story than than, than Bran. Mm-hmm. In the books, in the books Bran is going to be a phenomenal person for this job. Uh, just to just to put that hat back on. Uh, some of my some of my very favorite chapters in all of a Song of Ice and Fire are from the perspective of Bran. My very favorite chapter in all of a Song of Ice and Fire is from the perspective of Bran. It's going to be great. That's going to be fantastic in the books that will never exist. Uh, but for the case <laughs> of the show, you know, for for the sake, for the sake of the HBO television product, God, man, like they really there was just a lot of work that they needed to infuse into that character. And uh, they, they just didn't do it. And, and I wonder, too, like uh, when when they finally had that sit down, because it, it sounds like there was like an inevitable sit down between Benioff and Weiss and George R. R. Martin at some point in the last couple of years when it became clear that the shows are going to wrap up before the books ended. Uh, and was it in that meeting that they found out that Bran was going to end up being the king? And if that's the case, had they reached a point where they're like, Oh God, uh, we've done a bad job with Bran. Like, how do we fix this? And maybe they just look at each other at a certain point and like, We don't, we just keep going. Mm-hmm. Maybe it just it just ends the way that it ends. So, I don't know. That's why, uh, you know, cut that Tauntaun open and sleep in it. I feel like there is a lot in here. There's a lot <laughs> in that, here.
0: Is that because they're making Star Wars movies now? Yes, Yes.
1: Yes. yes. That
0: which is also what Aaron Rodgers said <laughs> at
1: the end of his press conference. He was like, I don't know. I guess he also had a cameo yeah. in. I didn't <laughs> even know that. But he says at the end, he's like, uh, you know, I think uh, I was very happy that they let me on set. For Game of Thrones, I think that the anymore. writers, the writers have some Star Wars that they wanted to make instead. God, th- th- that was a, a deeply honest uh, confession from that man. I that was hysterical. Anyway, uh, we could talk about uh, Bran forever. I oh, just very quickly from Steve Davis, uh, the prolific Steve Davis. He says, uh, "My biggest question is: everybody criticizes Robert and Joffrey for never attending a small council meeting." And then they elect this new king, Bran, and he shows up for 30 seconds only to duck out to look for a dragon? Don't they have an entire city and kingdom to rebuild? So already, Rob, uh, all that was before shall be again. Yeah. History is repeating itself. Was was this
0: really just like the ultimate power play by Tyrion to have uh, Bran, who is like more than 50% checked out of this job before he even gets it as the king? And really that
1: this is now uh, Tyrion Lannister running the Seven Kingdoms? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, though, it sounded like he really didn't want to do it. It sounds like he really didn't want to do this job. So... Uh, What else was he going to do? I don't know. He loves this job. He does love this stuff. He does. He seems to be seems to be into it. Um, Didn't
0: seem like he was really suffering when he was uh, going back
1: to the brothel jokes uh, to close out the show. Yeah, I can't believe we didn't get the punchline. What a bummer. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a bummer. Definitely a bummer. All right,
0: uh, let me go ahead and thank our other sponsor for this episode of the Game of Thrones uh, feedback show. And uh, they've been with us all season long for season eight, Blue Diamond Almonds. If We watched Game of Thrones and we were tired of the same boring snacks. So let me tell you, winter was here and so is the perfect snack. It's Blue Diamond Almonds. Whether you were going to work, bored at work, or leaving work, These almonds are and were the perfect snack for this entire season eight. Honey roasted flavored almonds, sriracha flavored almonds, wasabi and soy sauce flavored almonds. Josh, why keep snacking on boring chips? You don't have to be the three-eyed raven to know that blue diamond almonds are the way to go. You can go to the store and pick up some blue diamond almonds. Right now, did Brand know the whole time that Blue Diamond Almonds were the perfect snack? Why do you think I ate all
1: these almonds?
0: <laughs> yeah. Whatever the moment, Blue Diamond Almonds is the perfect snack. Don't deny your cravings. Go pick up some great flavors right now and eat them Blue Diamond Almonds. Crave victoriously and thanks to Blue Diamond Almonds for uh, being a sponsor with us all through season 8 of
1: Game of Thrones. Okay. Josh, what's next? Uh what's next? Let's wrap up the brand thing really quickly. I just I wanna I wanna, you know, just to, to devil's advocate it and just like this is like in principle why, you know, I'm not mad at Bran as as the king, especially in the context of of where it could eventually go if it ever goes in, in George R. R. Martin's material. But from the column that Isaac Hempstead wrote, I just wanna I just wanna shout out his Isaac Hempstead wrote. Yes, Isaac Hempstead wrote the following words defending the ending. He says, uh, At the beginning of the show, Bran is a disabled 10-year-old with slim chances of surviving in this harsh universe. He will never be the warrior who comes in on horseback and saves the day, but he is resilient. He survives attempted murder more times than I can count. He journeys with only a handful of other people to one of the most dangerous and northerly points on the map, And he returns one of the most powerful characters in Westeros. I find it an extraordinary character arc to see him go from a vulnerable character totally dependent on others to the one person who holds all the keys to understanding the world. Bran becoming king is a victory for the still and considered people of this world who too often get sidelined by the commotion of those who are louder and more reactionary. He doesn't shout to make himself heard, but instead waits and chooses his words and actions very carefully. In that, I think Bran presents a valuable reminder to all of us in this day and age where sensationalism is rife and anybody can voice an opinion to millions to sit and consider things a little more carefully. Um, in terms of the messaging of that, I like that. I like that a lot. Sure. I, just think, that, I think that the show could have sat and considered <laughs> how they were going to sell all of this a little bit better. I don't mind like the point. I don't mind what they're saying thematically. I think all of that is fantastic. But you're making a show here. And there's some, there's some, there's some work there that needed to be done. Yeah. I, I, anyway, yeah. anyway, sorry. Sorry. Uh, how about John and Daenerys? Let's talk, let's talk yeah. a little bit about, about John and uh, Daenerys. Uh, Inessa, Inessa had written and she posited something that could have been, uh, could have been fun to see in the finale. Inessa writes, they should have had Danny's dying words be Dracarys, and had Drogon torch Jon, and have a few people watch as witnesses as Jon is impervious to flames, which acknowledges he's a Targaryen, and all of these witnesses start to kneel like, oh wow, he's our king, and then have him recuse himself to the Night's Watch like Maester Aemon did as a way to break the wheel, at least have the secret come out so people know, make it meaningful, And have him say, no, it's not about bloodlines. Let's break the wheel. Something like that. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Rob? Did we need something like that to pay off John as a Targaryen to truly break the wheel? That
0: would have been really cool.
1: I I, I like that. Uh, He has been burned in the past as part of the problem. (laughs) Season one grabbed a hot thing when the whites were trying to kill Lord Commander Mormont, burned his hand on the hot thing. Mm. Then again, it seems like Game of Thrones has forgotten some stuff along the way. We've had Dario Naharis looking completely different from one season to the next. I think we could have uh, we could have ignored the the hand on the mug and him just like getting a whiff of dragon fire to the face. Mm-hmm. I would have you know, I think could have been fine.
0: Right uh our own uh a j mask uh great friend of all things uh, yes. post show uh, recaps that uh he also uh had a uh a different pitch about how that he would have liked to have seen uh danny also uh stab Jon snow
1: yeah and that would be the end of Jon snow what happens to Daenerys? uh uh-huh. how do we, how do we arc that out? Uh, this is what he had tweeted the
0: other day that uh, he wanted to have Danny be the one who stabbed John uh, killing him, and then the heel turn was fully complete, and then Aria could emerge from the shadows to kill Danny as well saving the world uh, as she does. Uh, yeah, I-, I feel like that John Aria Snow- can't
1: just keep emerging from the shadows <laughs> to kill everyone. That's what she does. You can't just use that trick every single time someone needs to be killed. Yeah. You know, once is enough. Once works.
0: Yeah. You know, once a season. I, I just I don't know how John is able to get away from killing Daenerys and and live.
1: Yeah, Doctor Mike was really hung up on that. I don't know if you, <laughs> you saw yeah, Doctor Mike. He say? It, well, he's an OG Game of Thrones fan. He's a huge fan mm-hmm. of A Song of Ice and Fire from from long ago. It's one of the very first things he and I ever talked about uh, on a, on a Fijian beach long ago. Man, yeah. I, missed, I missed Fiji for this. Are you serious? Okay. Anyway. Anyway, this is from Maester Mike, who wrote on Twitter, It's bothering me. How did any... <laughs> it starts like that. It's bothering me. How did anyone know John stabbed Danny? How did he not get promptly executed for this? Who arrested him? How did it go down? Did the Northmen fight the Unsullied or Rocky? Hashtag Game of Thrones. At Round Howard. Uh huh. So, yeah. Dr. Mike is bothered. He's bothered by this. It,
0: uh, I mean, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how, I mean, so, uh, Grey Worm is out there just slitting throats of Lannister soldiers. And then, uh, I guess it gets brought to his attention. Uh, so, uh, Jon Snow apparently has assassinated Daenerys. And Grey Worm's like, all right, lock him up.
1: Yeah. Throw him yeah. in with Tyrion. Well, he seemed pretty emotionally balanced the last we had seen Grey Worm. So, like, that felt like a very measured response. <laughs> yeah, you pull these threads, yeah. and they <laughs> I mean, He's That's slitting throats in the street. Right. <laughs> right. Like, all right, right.
0: Well, throw him in the jail. We have to right. wait for the
1: council to make a decision on this. We had uh, uh, one of my favorite pieces that's on THR.com slash Game of Thrones right now is one that I had nothing to do with. And it is uh, by a guy named Chris Brower or Brower, perhaps, who's a friend of uh, one of the editors at The Hollywood Reporter who had previously written. He had never seen a Marvel movie before, and he went and saw Avengers Endgame and wrote a review of Avengers Endgame from the perspective of somebody who had no idea what was going on. Mm. Uh, And he did the same thing for the Game of Thrones series finale uh which is uh, it, it was tremendous for some reason he decided uh Arya Stark's name was Kate uh and had a lot of other uh fun misspellings and confusions like thinking Slaver's Bay was called Flavors Bay uh and the the best take I thought that he had was he didn't understand why Tyrion Lannister and Jon Snow were being imprisoned in these very large rooms with so much fancy pottery uh, you go back and you look, and there's a lot of fancy pottery in their jail cells. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. You should go look that up if you just want to like a the perspective of a in fairness, The
0: black cells uh,
1: took a, a lot of damage during. Took a hit. The- <laughs> took a hit. They took a hit. Uh, Pete G had written in and said, "Okay, admittedly, I'm not a writer and shouldn't be criticizing Game of Thrones writers, but." Which I'll just interrupt to say, you don't have to be a writer to criticize a writer. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're interacting with the story. Let let us know what you think. Uh, PG writes in and says, uh, I think they missed the mark by not having John and Grey Worm fight. Greyworm could have attacked John at the docks. Arya could have swooped in wearing another face and saved John. The last forty five minutes needed some action. Maybe they were setting up spinoffs. But the Middle Ages were a violent time in this series. Ended with a whimper. Do you feel like the series finale was missing an action scene, Rob? Whether it was uh, what Pete is sketching out, which I feel like that feels a little too Hollywood for me, that Grey Worm shows up in the last like 20 minutes to to come in and have a big fight with John. Feels like uh, you're giving too much power to Grey Worm in that moment. But is there something that could have happened earlier in the episode, maybe? Or is there something that you could have seen even late in the episode That would have worked well for you, like some sort of super flash forward to the very end of Jon Snow's life beyond the wall. And he encounters a bear in the woods and he fights it. And there's some narration about how the bear killed him in those woods beyond the wall. And it's like Legends of the Fall. And Jon Snow is Brad Pitt. And this is me spoiling the end of Legends of the Fall. Hmm. Yeah. Um... I kind of thought that uh
0: Jon Snow was going to be like assassinated as they were moving him through like I kind of felt like that there would be some like uh the gray worm was never going to let him get away and go to this witness protection program or right. this uh get to uh the wall so I I was surprised. I wouldn't say that it was it was missing it, but uh, I was surprised that there was uh, nothing else uh, action related in this uh, epilogue.
1: How about this for Jon Snow? This is from Richard Jones, who writes in and says, do you think that Jon was leaving Castle Black for good in the end to move beyond the wall like Mance Raider did? And was he telling Tyrion his plans when he said, I suppose this is the last time we'll see each other? Mm-hmm. Do you think that John was just going for a stroll and ranging with all these other people at the wall, or do you think he was leaving the wall forever? Well,
0: what what do you think? Because that um, I thought that when I watched it on Sunday night, that he was just ranging, but I I do think that uh, you know my interpretation has changed to now say that he's like what what night's watch there's no night's watch uh right. like I'm I'm out of here and uh wasn't going to uh, get involved with that but what was it open ended or do you feel like that there was a uh, it's, act- open-ended. Yeah.
1: it's open ended it's it's open ended but my interpretation is that Jon is leaving for he's leaving Westeros forever and he's going to the true north you know the real north as Tormund said to him a couple episodes back Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like the, the one place where he where he like felt truly alive like even when he was lying to everybody else it's where he fell in love with the grit you know he, he really felt that that power of that place and like you even go back and, and watch some of those scenes in beyond the wall the good stuff from beyond the wall in season seven, you know, the pre crazy action and just a lot of those conversations. And like, even there, like the scene where John is walking with Barrick, and there's just like, kind of like they're, they're talking about really heavy stuff, but there's just a way in which a, that the, the realm beyond the wall is shot. That makes it look otherworldly. That makes it look so beautiful and makes you understand why, Tormund and the rest of the free folk loved it there when they weren't being terrorized by white walkers. And there's just even like a look of calm on Kit Harington as he's playing Jon Snow of like, kind of like the sense of being home. And one of the things that I really like about where they landed with Jon is by, by nature, you know, by birth, he is the heir to the iron throne. He is both Stark and Targaryen, but he, he has no you know, point of reference for what it means to be a Targaryen, what it means to be the ruler of Westeros. That is, this is, that is like 11th hour information. And that's even probably not as late as it comes. It's, it's really last minute stuff. This is not anything that he ever, ever wanted or ever even imagined for himself by, by nurture and even partly by nature because of his mother. You know, he's a northerner. Uh, and, and I think that he is somebody who, who, didn't who didn't want any of this stuff but he does earn something along the way and what he earns along the way is You know, he's not only, you know, he he doesn't know whether or not he saved all of Westeros. He's still debating it with Tyrion by the end of the show, saying, was it right what we did? It doesn't feel right. So he doesn't even feel great about what he did killing Daenerys. But there is no doubt in his mind that what he did, bringing the wildlings south and, and saving them and giving them a safe home while the White Walkers were trying to kill everybody. And even though he doesn't kill the Night King, he creates the circumstances that allow the right people to be in the right place at the right time to defeat the night king john at least ends up saving this entire kingdom beyond the wall and we know that the way that the free folk work is they select their king they you know they pick their ruler you know it's not somebody who just you know was born into it it's somebody who earns the respect of a people and so that final shot of john ranging out into the unknown with a nation at his side is really powerful and in that way i think john snow does end the series as a king he ends as the king beyond the wall and it's the crown that he earned it's not the crown he was born with uh and i think that's really cool i think that they in in the in the final minutes of the show i think that they did a really good job with john snow
0: why was Tormund still at castle black he's waiting for his bro knew. But did like Sansa back channel with him how, no, how did he, know? he
1: he's he said it in in episode four when he was about to leave. He's like, We're all gonna we're gonna go chill at Castle Black once the winter calms down a little bit, then we're gonna go back north, but we're just like gonna we're gonna take a breath. Uh, mm-hmm. because that was also crazy. So we're just going to kind of gather our wits before we go out. So by the time John's back, maybe winter's chilling out a little bit. And I mean, you do get that at the very end of the, of the show when he's going beyond the wall, you see very close to the wall. There's a little, there's a little tuft of grass. So there's a little plant that's starting to grow out from the snow. So the winter is starting to be a little less severe as they're, uh, as they're ranging to the great unknown. I like that. I thought that was good. I hear you um Arya Stark we have questions about Arya uh we have Anessa uh, once again saying, Arya could have just asked Euron, Yara, or any of the Ironborn, what's West of Westeros? I'm sure Arya is not the first person who <laughs> hopped on a boat nope, and she's got furious. She's the first. Probably could have asked Bran as well. Uh, Zach Brooks had written in and said, Was Arya's ending a flashing neon sign for the Arya spin off show? And would you prefer that we call it West of Westeros World or Arya the Explorer? Uh, neither of those. They're too cute. Uh, we're also apparently not going to get the show. Uh, the great Leslie Goldberg, my editor at the Hollywood Reporter, uh, had an interview with Casey Bloys, HBO programming president, in which he like very severely uh, thumbs down the notion of any Game of Thrones sequels. Still, all in on the prequel side of everything, and apparently the reasoning being uh, that he he wants to to let this lie the this this piece of art. That David Benioff and hey, Dan Weiss created When you nail it, you don't mess with it. You know, don't mess Don't mess with perfection. Right. Uh, the exact quote is, uh, uh, Leslie asks him, the three successor shows are all prequels. In the finale, Arya goes on to explore what's west of Westeros. Have you considered exploring sequels, specifically Arya Stark as she travels west of Westeros? And Casey Bloy has responded by saying, nope, 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 no. Part of it is I do want this show, this Game of Thrones, Dan and David's show to be its own thing. I don't want to take characters from this world that they did beautifully and put them off into another world with someone else creating it. I want to let it be this artistic piece that they've got. That's one of the reasons why I'm not trying to do the same show over. George has a massive, massive world. There's so many ways in. That's why we're trying to do things that feel distinct and to not try and redo the same show. That's probably one of the reasons why right now a sequel or picking up any of the other characters doesn't make sense for us. So Game of Thrones did end, Rob, in a way that was a lot more open ended for many of these characters than I think I or many other people expected. Do you take this line as gospel that we will never see uh, a sequel set in the world of Game of Thrones following some of the characters who survived these events?
0: Never is a very long time, Josh. Uh I, I don't know if we will see Arya Stark a Pirate Explorer ever as as a show, but uh I, I cannot imagine that with this IP that we will never see any Game of Thrones that ever takes place after the events of this finale.
1: Yeah. Um you know, we we once thought that, you know, we were gonna We were going to end with Jar Jar Binks bringing about the collapse. Of the intergalactic, whatever the hell it was called. You know, like we thought that he was going to be the guy that was responsible for creating the circumstances that led to the original Star Wars trilogy and Revenge of the Sith was going to be the end. And then Disney bought Lucasfilm and we are on the verge of closing out the new trilogy of Star Wars. Never, as you say, is a very long time. A lot of the people who are main characters here. Once Disney buys HBO. They're gonna buy everything, man, and like eventually they are going to have Game of Thrones to develop. And uh, they will create more. I mean, the more pressing question is like, will we be here as a human species by the time that Game of Thrones would be ready for the sequel? I think that there's some debate about that. Mm-hmm. But I think assuming that we are still here, yeah. uh, there's some of the actors involved in this were, were are still so young, early twenties for for many of them. That like some story right. that picks up when they're forty, even like that's that feels very possible <laughs> to me. That feels very very possible to me. We may have to wait for it. I'm and please I'm thrilled to wait for it. I would love nothing more than to put this on pause for a little while. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. That'd be great. Uh um, Game of Thrones The Dragon Awakens. Yes, yes. There has been an awakening. <laughs> I'd be I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that. Uh wasn't War Renley is coming. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Is uh, the. <laughs> Kyler Rinley's good. Was it worth it? Is the gist of uh, the, the same question we got from a few people uh, along the way. Uh, succinctly from Matt from Newfoundland, who says, Was your series rewatch? worth it. Uh Sammy from A Thousand Oaks. I think it's just Thousand Oaks, right? Yeah. Obviously I don't know don't know it very well. Uh Sammy writes in and says, given that this season's story and character development have seemed rushed at times, how do you think the series will play in a rewatch now that we know what happens and where all the characters end up? If you had done your Game of Thrones rewatch after season eight, How do you think that would have influenced your views on the characters, plot lines and events of seasons one through seven? So, Rob, you and I, we rewatched the entirety of Game of Thrones on a weekly basis in about a year and a half from the end of season seven to the start of season eight. And we didn't have the benefit of knowing that Daenerys would go insane and slaughter a whole bunch of people. So we weren't really watching that along the way. We talked about it every once in a while i'm sure probably not too seriously did we do the rewatch wrong do we have to do it again we
0: don't have to do it again <laughs> thank you we don't oh, have to do you. it again uh, okay. thank you.
1: thank you thank uh, you. you
0: did we do it wrong no I, I don't think so that there was a ton of hype coming into season eight we timed it perfectly to be uh, set up for this. And uh, I think that maybe there might be some temptation now to say, should we go back? Should we go back and watch the whole thing? Maybe it'll make more sense. But uh, we, we already did that. And I do think that on a rewatch, I do think that you probably would end up spending more time on some of the Danny stuff in terms of yeah. uh, the lessons that Danny learns uh, along the way. I think that that's probably the number one thing that uh, you might end up paying more attention to. But I think that there might also be more things that really are more glaring on the rewatch.
1: I would be tempted to do like a Danny rewatch of going through like a lot of the Daenerys material again, um, if not for the fact that I'd have to go through season two and I won't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not going back to Karth. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm not looking at those warlocks and their blue raspberry mouthed lips ever again. Yeah. I refuse. I refuse. Yeah. So I'll just have to, I'll have to take uh, the show's word for it that they really did a great job of setting everything up. Um, the same question uh, brought one of our listeners to a different question that I think is a, a good segue as we're starting to look towards the end of this show. Uh, Bucko Fazoo. Wrote in and said, Hey, guys, I've been with Winter Was Here since the very beginning, rewatching every episode week by week with y'all, aside from the twice yearly marathon and tracking all the things we now know were swept under the rug. Hope I'm not too late to maybe make the show. Guess what? You're here. Bucko's question. He says, My question to you was going to be something like, Are you disappointed to have gone through the whole series so laboriously only for the show to leave so many of our burning questions unanswered? But that's lame and mostly <laughs> rhetorical, as I'm sure there's no regrets on your end since it's your gig and all. But this is a train of thought that had led me to something better to say, which is what if we don't actually want tidy granular explanations to the Azora High Prophecy, the Lord of Light, the Valankar, etc. etc. But we just think we do after all we've been here before do you want midi chlorians? because that's how you get midi chlorians. how much merit do you put in the idea that some things are better left mysterious
0: yes uh i think that that was explored uh quite a bit with the leftovers and uh let the mystery be uh so uh i do think that you don't necessarily need an answer to all of the prophecy, but where Game of Thrones, I think really let people down was that we we you and I talked about this in in one of the podcasts we did to preview the season of that it's gonna be about the character that that's where shows that have have succeeded have paid off their their characters more so than their mystery and prophecy. And where Game of Thrones really let people down in season eight was that they, in many people's regards, uh colossally let down the character of Daenerys and that journey that we were on with her over the course of eight seasons. And in right. reading some interviews, it sounded like that uh even uh Amelia Clark didn't know exactly where this was going in terms of like the sound design of how this was all treated of all of the scenes where Daenerys is burning people previously was did ever was everybody on board with this? Because I feel like that maybe that the way that those things were presented in the first place and maybe that our expectations were always meant to be subverted, but that I I don't know if uh, everybody had the same roadmap
1: for this. Right, right. This is something that i had, I had wondered about a little bit that I I hadn't seen the take anywhere, but the the a lot of like the the music that's associated with Daenerys in the past, like when you get to the end of Misa in season three, the season three finale, and she is like being swept up in the masses of all the people at Yunkai and like, they're all celebrating her uh, and they're all so excited to to have been liberated by her. And it was like a very, like I, it made the rounds as like a kind of really problematic scene of like the white savior coming in here and like, just being like worshiped like that. And there's this heroic music that is swirling underneath the moment and i i don't know if that changes if if it's something that like you can do with 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 the score that's associated with danny a lot of like those moments that now in retrospect are like a little scarier like her killing all of the Broth rocky back in season six it's presented as a very heroic moment but this is what's presented to us in the finale like Tyrion is basically saying what the recappers were all saying in the week between the bells and the finale of like oh, yeah well she killed the Rocky, and everyone was fine with it because they were evil uh but like there, there's like a heroism involved in the presentation of some of that stuff that maybe that could have been curbed a little bit the point being you know meandering as is my want uh is is that I feel like People probably weren't exactly on the same page about a lot of this stuff from the writers to the performers to the composer to the sound design people. And that it's just such a juggernaut and such a Herculean task to put Game of Thrones together that to to sync up all of these things for what is certainly a very top secret storyline pivot at the end must have been very, very difficult to the point that it wasn't achieved quite successfully enough for at least a vocal minority, if not a majority of people. Um, I think uh, Inessa, who obviously had a lot of issues with this final episode and this final season, had another piece of feedback that she had written in that I, I uh, will just read the gist of. I love which how fired it, up she is. She was very fired up. And, and her her sentiment was essentially that foreshadowing is not character development. And I would agree with that, that just because there's foreshadowing that, you know, you can go back and say, oh, well, her reaction to Viserys uh should should tell us that she's a little bit off and that she has the capacity to really go off on King's Landing there's still the matter of characterization and that that's where you know character development lies and I, I'm a broken freaking record about this the record is broken Josh if broken. not the wheel yes uh but it's a timing thing that they're just i you need you need to have more of a sense of the construction of a telev- television episode and what what that unit means and what you can express in that period of time and how many of those units you're going to need in order to adequately express your characters. That just was not adequately explored here in the final season. And, you know, maybe tracks with there, there's a lot of people in you know the peak TV era and a lot of like the auteurs behind some of these uh, these great shows who will often talk about how their show is actually one very long sprawling movie like game of thrones was a, was not a 73 episode television series it was a 73ish uh, hour film Which is a horrible way to look at the construction of the show. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you're making a television show. Embrace that you're making a television show. In the final season, when you look back on it, it, it feels like the, like we don't see, we don't have the blueprints in front of us. We can't see them, but you can imagine. The thought behind them that this is a, a series of a couple of final movies uh, is the final season. And Benny and Weiss had talked about that in the past that they they thought about, um, you know, the final season as kind of like a, a couple of like one and a half hour chunked movies rather than shows. And they didn't ultimately go that way. But in the writing, it's like they kind of did. Uh, and I think that explains some of the the fast forwarding that we got in mm-hmm. the final season. Josh,
0: any other feedback, questions or thoughts about the Game of Thrones finale before we wrap up here today?
1: We had the question from Spencer Y, who says, although the last two seasons of the show likely pushed Game of Thrones off the Mount Rushmore of all-time TV programs, is it still safely and firmly cemented in the top 10, despite how things ended, or did seasons 7 and 8 create a lot more reputational and quality damage than anticipated to push it out of the top 10? I recall Josh mentioning on a past Game of Thrones podcast that he doesn't even place Game of Thrones among his personal top 10, which at the time seemed like a really hot take, but... Now, with the show fully unveiled for what it is, does that hot take not seem that hot?
0: Now, that was not your top 10 rankings of all time greatest shows. Like that does not match up with your top 10 favorite shows.
1: I don't have one. You know, I have I've not really sketched that out. But I think what I had said was like my instinct is when I think about like my top 10 favorite shows, I don't think Game of Thrones is in there.
0: Mm -hmm. So in terms of the top shows of all time and uh you know some people say that you know ranking these things is uh arbitrary, arbitrary and, reductive. and reductive. Um so I I think that what you cannot ever take away from Game of Thrones, no matter no matter how you come down on this final season, is that in terms of the success of the show, in terms of the scope of the show, it's the biggest television show that was ever made. In terms of the resources that were used to to put it together, the 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 people that watch this show on on HBO, the way that it united the audience, not necessarily in terms of reaction to the show, but in terms of people that were looking forward to the show. Uh, I I think it's the last of the, you know, uh, great unifying shows in terms of uh, people watching a thing at the same time, not on a streaming platform, unless you watch it on HBO Go, but you know what I mean. So in those regards, Game of Thrones will always uh, be uh, a historic juggernaut. So... In terms of, like, uh, was it one of the all-time 10 best shows? I, I think
1: that your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I agree with all that. I, I think, and one of the things that this, that the final season really cemented for me is uh, that I, I have issues with, with some of the writing and the adaptation process, and I think that the final season of Game of Thrones highlights kind of a cautionary tale in in building out TV that you can have uh, the most spectacular effects and the most spectacular acting and the most spectacular production value on the planet... And if your writing isn't airtight, you're going to be in trouble. And like to say that Game of Thrones didn't have great writing along the way is is not fair to Game of Thrones. There are there some scenes, even in the final season, but certainly there are, there are scenes, there are arcs, there are full freaking episodes of Game of Thrones that are just like pure magic. That are just like truly, truly, truly majestic, funny, touching awful to watch but in a a great way um there's there's so much of that found throughout the show i do think that there is a degree of uh of of control that the that the top names on on the call sheet on the writer side really exercised over game of thrones that i i think that you you relinquish a little bit i mean it's funny because i think kind of One of the points that they're expressing in the end of Game of Thrones is like the the need to grab power is what destroys you. Like that's what happens to Daenerys is like everything for the throne. She's willing to sacrifice everything for the throne. And that's what basically gets her killed. Uh, And I think that Benioff and Weiss not loosening up the writer's room a little bit, not not allowing more voices into that process was probably pretty damaging for the last couple of seasons, feeling like they were uh, you know, ready to wrap this thing up when I think that the, the series really could have benefited from at least an additional seven episodes, if not a little more than that, uh, I think was a mistake. Um, so, so those are the, the biggest issues.
0: Wow, for- this is interesting. Uh, this is a, a fun analogy. So in, in this analogy, the, the show creators, Benioff and Weiss, are, are Daenerys... Yeah, (laughs) and and, and Tyrion is uh, sort of like uh, some like uh, HBO executive, like, uh, well, well, where is the
1: secession plan?
0: Uh, What what should happen? That comes out in August. There is no secession. It's a
1: few months from now.
0: Yes. Why? Are you trying to take over from me? No,
1: no. I just wanted to know. (laughs) Right yeah and i feel like let it go a little let it go mm. a little bit yes. and uh i i hey, had, sorry for missing your uh, session yeah <laughs> no it's okay i'm yeah. looking forward to that coming back uh joe sloan had written in with no body to the to the email and just a headline that said can you use the game of thrones finale to talk about how great the lost finale really was thanks uh that was the subject that we got on that email which i enjoyed and it took me a very long time to appreciate the lost finale. I didn't like it very much as i've said numerous times on numerous podcasts and i recently did a full rewatch of the whole show and i loved it i loved the final season i was very happy with everything so when tyrion says ask me again in 10 years maybe let's check back with the game of thrones finale in 10 years and maybe it'll it'll improve yeah. with with time but one of the things you know co-creator of lost and one of the you know one of really the the very key voices creatively associated with Lost is Damon Lindelof, who we then went on and created The Leftovers, which is another one of my very favorite shows and one of the best HBO shows of all time. Just one of the best shows of all time. And it starts off very, very rocky. It starts off on shaky ground. And somewhere along the way, in the first season, like midway through that season, it starts like really coalesce. And the second season is, is sublime. The third season is tremendous. Uh, and that's all that the the show amounts to. And Lindelof had said in interviews that... He he would write the scripts with a vast, robust writer's room. And then the actors, the directors, the producers, uh, you know, consulting producers on sets, the editors, they would go and then adapt his scripts and he wouldn't really see the episodes until they were very close to locked. Uh, and that is a tremendous amount of control to relinquish. And that requires a lot of risks. And I think that takes somebody who knows what it's like to really cling on to the story of something with all your might and refuse to have other outside voices interfere with your process uh, or or at least be welcomed into your process to maybe tell you, like, maybe people aren't going to love this Flash Sideways thing you're doing over here. But no, that's your idea. And you're not letting anyone, you know, parrot into your ear and, and talk you off of the ledge on that. And to have the kind of reaction that happened to a show like Lost you come back on the other side of that, and maybe the lesson you learn is to to let go a little bit more, which is ironically enough, the lesson of Lost as well. Uh, so I, I think that there, you know, people are like petitioning and boycotting and trying to make it so that David Benioff and Dan Weiss never write a thing ever again, which is, is insane. Is that what the petition is? I mean, there's, there's a level of vitriol towards those guys where there are people are like, please don't mess up Star Wars. Don't, you're going to kill everything. Like, all of their goodwill seems to have been zapped in a certain corner of the fandom, in the same way as happened with Damon Lindelof. Certainly, I think that's an insanely extreme reaction. I think that they should take a vacation. I think that they should like take a meaningful amount of time to just like re-energize and and plug back in. And I think that they should learn some lessons from this. I think it would be a real tragedy to not examine some of the reaction to the final season they can stand by a lot of the story and a lot of the production craft as much as they want but i think that they really ought to you know for the for the benefit of their future projects i think that they need to examine the reaction a little bit and do a little bit of a post of what they got right and what they got wrong because they absolutely got a lot right and they absolutely got stuff wrong um but to say that game of thrones is a wash and that the final season tarnishes the whole experience really cheapens so much of what was expe- exceptional about this show thematically of course and that's a lot due to writing uh but production value and just outstanding acting and outstanding casting. Just a lot that went so well. And uh, it's just always, always an enjoyable thing to discuss. And like think about the friends and the family that you've accumulated along the, the nearly decade long adventure of being a part of Game of Thrones, if you were with it from the very beginning, um, you know, this doesn't ruin any of that. At least it doesn't for me. And I hope it doesn't for you. Back, back to what Derek Blaze said. I hope that you can find peace with it. If you're somebody who is not at peace with this ending. Okay. And I think that uh, that's a good note to start to wrap this up. Uh, final update on the death draft uh, is uh, we tied in the death draft. Uh, we, we both got two people right. We both got two people wrong. Our outstanding deaths heading into the finale were Jon Snow and Arya Stark, both of whom survive. Uh, you lost a point. Mm -hmm. On who on who will survive? You you thought Daenerys was going to survive the final season. She's the only person to die in the final episode. Um, I thought Daenerys would rule at the end of Game of Thrones. I was wrong. You said that there would be no Iron Throne. Um, I'm gonna. I'll award you the point. (laughs) Technically, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You're technically correct, even if if Bran is in charge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we break even. So the the death draft, the draft is broken, and, okay. it's, a, and it's a tie. It's a tie. Okay. Nobody wins, so everyone's unhappy. It's a fair compromise.
0: All right. Uh, what about our Big Bang Theory uh, final season
1: <laughs> draft? <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to our Jan Sheldon recaps.
0: <laughs> Jan
1: Sheldon. All right. Um Josh Wiggler,
0: great job. Uh very uh cathartic talk with you today
1: about everything. For sure. Very fun.
0: Okay. Of course, uh, you can follow the everything that Josh is doing over at thr.com slash Game of Thrones, including uh, Josh Wigler's
1: updated every episode of Game of Thrones ranked. Yeah, uh that that's that's up there. Uh go give that uh give that a look. Still doing uh the occasional interview here and there with people involved. In Game of Thrones, I have my, my final chat, uh, at least about the character of Samuel Tarly with John Bradley. That has been posted. Uh, it was nice, nice to talk to him one last time. We've got that column with Isaac Hempstead Wright. Recommend that. As promised in a previous podcast, or threatened perhaps, I did rank all of the major deaths from the final season. And just to spoil it, of course, Maester Kyburn takes the top spot. Got it. Got to give him the top spot. There's no better death. Yeah. Uh, and plenty of other stuff. Plenty of other stuff going so on there. Do you rank them in terms of how cool they were? I ranked them just in terms of like how, how good they were. You know, was it, was it, a, was it a great death? Was it, was it a great end to the character arc? Uh, the parameters are loose. It's really more like a feel thing. Like Rhaegal dying was the worst. That was mm-hmm. so stupid. It made no sense. It was clearly just there to move the story along. It was really, really dumb. And then Harry Strickland from the Golden Company is next because who cared about the Golden Company? They're terrible. Should have mm-hmm. brought elephants. All that hype for nothing. They're awful people. Yeah. Um, and so on is, and so forth. Is Harry Strickland the uh, least uh, Game of Thrones name of uh, anybody in the series? Harry is a pretty, uh, yeah. Harry is like the name of a beat detective, not, uh, not the leader of a sort company. <laughs>
0: Harry like strickland.
1: that you should never <laughs> rent cell swords from
0: harry strickland yeah yeah
1: that's dexter's dad that's not the the head of the golden company
0: <laughs> yeah all right there you have it of course uh thanks to everybody who stayed with us along this journey uh we're gonna th- we're gonna throne it up at,
1: at some point yes yeah, so we're gonna do the throners we'll we'll think, have some is that sooner or later Uh, I need need a minute. I would love to take a week off from Game of Thrones if that's all right with everybody. I'd like to just take a a, a step away. Uh, At some point in June, we will absolutely have the Throners.
0: All right. Sounds great. Uh, Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at RoundHoward. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. This episode of Post Show Recaps was sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories, like that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, that luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer long. And while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or to trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and Moonroof, watch as they bump up your car's value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you'll know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you could take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, Check out TrueCard today, true cash offer not available in all areas.